There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 5th, 2011. For newcomers, I always suggest and get out of the way at the start of the broadcast that you should look into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the hundreds of audios which are there to hopefully guide you and give you shortcuts to the big system that you're born into. It's really an amazing system indeed. It's very much like the Matrix where you, the room that you happen to be born into is the system made out for you. And, uh, of course, it takes an awful long time or maybe a few shocks along the way before you realize, no, that's a fake system and there's ones above it, many layers, actually. Hopefully, as I say, you'll get the shortcuts if you go through these audios. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you, so you can support me by buying the books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or you can use an international postal money order from the post office. Some people send cash, and you can also use PayPal. You'll see the donation button on the com site. Use that. Follow it with an email with name, address, and order. And it's all explanatory on the com site when you look into it. Remember, to all those sites have a lot of transcripts in other languages. It's cutting at it, Alan Watt Sentinel, Sentinel.eu, and all the rest of them listed there in English I have, of course, English um, transcripts as well for those who want print-ups. So there's lots to, lots to choose from because it's a bewildering system when you're in the bottom room or the bottom floor, basically. When you're born into it, your parents don't know, people around you don't know, your educational system and the media, uh, their, their job is to make you stay in that room and never even imagine there's anything beyond it. Just bad people at the top of your room, basically, floating near the ceiling uh, that seem to be awfully rich. That's how you can perceive life in this vague way. But it's much, much bigger than that. It's a global system, has been all your life and before your parents were even born, because this system was set up a long time ago to bring us where exactly where we are today including the schedules for wars, wars with whom, and the whole list of wars one after another for this present period of time to standardize the last few countries in the world into something called democracy, uh, which is a wonderful idea. If it could actually materialize, we'd make, get some profit out of it personally. But anyway, you, you, you'll find that it doesn't exist at all. It's a con, it's a front, like everything else, it's a front to bring in a form of socialist system to control the public with a big fascist system on at the top of it. Because when you look into all the partnerships of left wing and right wing at the top, they're really, they're either they're all married to each other or, or they're, they're, are related at least. And they're all awfully, awfully wealthy, incredibly wealthy. And some of the richest people in the world are actually Marxists. Quite astonishing. But anyway, that's a system that they gave us to, to really control us as a socialist or Marxist type system. Exactly what Professor Carl Quigley talked about. He says they often mistake our group for Marxists or left wingers. And of course he was talking about the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the American branch 
of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the ones who were given the initial task uh, and set up the international bankers. They owned it, actually, uh, and given a royal charter to exist and go ahead. But they basically owned the system of money, and they went after the world's resources initially. But they also went out to set up a world government well over a 100 years ago when they called themselves the Milner Group and, of course, the Rhodes Society. I've no doubt they existed with many names prior to that, too. But as I say, they're often mistaken for the left wing because the big bankers prefer, definitely prefer, uh, a socialist-type system with a massive government and governmental agencies to control every aspect of your lives. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Interesting that Quigley said that though, that they were often mistaken this Council on Foreign Relations for being Marxist or communist. And uh, really when you look at them, the two of them, there's not a word of difference really, except they're run by another group above them, you see. But as I say, they, they prefer socialism or communism because it really has a heavy hand over the public and... Uh, makes it the proper kind of society, as they like to say themselves, where you're watched and supervised and given the right thoughts and right ideas and the right things to worship, which is generally the state and that kind of stuff. And uh, some, some of them call it positive um, um, freedom, and other ones call it negative freedom. Negative freedom is where you give you a kind of 1970s America with lots of movies about people going back and forward in the desert and big cars and not much happens and things like that. And so you, you, you're well entertained, but you don't really know what's going on. You're kept out of any kind of loop, and the media just fosters that too. Uh, positive freedom comes in when you have a common cause, a purpose, and they give purposes like we'll have to spread communism across the world or we've got to go and fight the Nazis or, or fight the Jap- Japanese or fight somebody. Now it's fighting the Middle East, of course, and that's positive freedom, get them all on board together. A war scenario, in other words. Always with a, a, a vague, down-the-road utopia that will materialize one day, and you're working to help those who are yet to come. That's the idea of it. But, but they use all of these techniques. And um, it's interesting, too, that Karl Marx talked about a, a basically United Europe and United uh, Americas as well and also one for the Pacific Rim region, which also the Council on Foreign Relations set up uh, back in the 1920s for the issue for Pacific Relations. It was one of their fronts and another couple of them, all working towards one day building China up to be the manufacturer of the world. Of course, they created the World Trade Organization to do it, and we pumped our, our cash in to make it so. Uh, and then, of course, the eventual amalgamation under a singular system for the Far East as well. So they're doing it, they're rushing ahead with NAFTA and uh, for, for, the, for the Americas. They're still pushing ahead with that as well. And each prime minister and president takes different turns going down and signing the, the deals. They used to all do it together, but until the, a lot of the ones who were watching them caught on to that, now they keep it quiet. They just go for tours in Latin America and sign uh, the different charters and, and treaties. 
But in Europe, of course, we, those who followed Europe, and it, this is the sad thing about today too, we're, we're not really a creature that's, that's, that's built to look across the whole world and feel part of anything way out yonder. It's like looking in the outer space and believing you belong to Mars or something. You're, you're only involved with, with the things around you which can either help or hurt you, and that's your immediate area. And therefore we, we become kind of localized in our thoughts and thinking. If you notice, the media keep, gives us nothing but foreign media now and foreign wars to train you that's all part of one global system. And they get you awful frustrated about them, except there's nothing you can do about it, you see. Which makes you, it further frustrates you. There's nothing you can do. You know it's nothing to do with the, the reasons they give you for all these wars. We know it's plunder and everything else. And personally, I, I get awfully sick at the media going along with lies, and then exposing the lies, then go back to the lies again. They did that with the weapons of mass destruction. Then it leaked out. It was just a phrase dreamed up by Madison Avenue that they were told uh, to set up for the president and the rest of them to speak out about, and then exposed that, and then they were using it back the following day. Uh, that's how fast they change. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like the head of the Council on Foreign Relations, Mr. Haas, uh, admitting that they didn't go into the Middle East but to help anybody getting killed by their governments at all. They used that as an excuse. And But the next day in the main news, it was back to the same thing. Oh, we went over there to help the poor people getting killed by their governments. It's all farce, and unfortunately, they turn out a lot of farce for us to believe in and confuse us too. Getting back to the amalgamation deals too, as I say, Karl Marx talked about unification of Europe, and that's really what uh, has been set up. It's a super Soviet type system with an awful lot of rich millionaires and billionaires running the whole show at the top. And at the top, you don't even know who's running it because they won't tell you it's secret. They still call it democratic, though, because the politicians uh, that supposedly represent different countries now, which are now called states or provinces, uh, the politicians can yap a lot and, and grandstand on television and, and laugh at each other, etc. But they can't actually pass any bill themselves or even put any bills forward, never mind annul them. So it's a dictatorship of, of a sort. But here you have uh, the same Marxist idea. A former uh, General Chancellor uh, Gerhard Schroeder on Sunday called for the creation of a United States of Europe. I heard this last year, he says it every year, saying the bloc needed a common government to avoid future economic crisis, cause the problem and come up with a solution. That's, this is what they do. So Schroeder, a social democrat who ran the country from 1998 to 2005, said in an interview with Der Spiegel that European Union leaders were wrong to expect the euro to drive the bloc on its own. So in other words, you see, the euro was introduced to further amalgamate them under a central government system, a central banking system, and they created the Bank of Europe, the Central Bank of Europe. Uh, but it's not doing all of its job. So he says the current crisis makes it relentlessly clear that we cannot have a common currency zone without a common fiscal, economic, and social policy. You understand that's everything, fiscal, economic, and social policy, Schroeder said. He added we will have to give up national sovereignty like they haven't already. From the European Commission, we should make a government which would be supervised by the European Parliament, and that means the United States of Europe. Schroeder, who nurtured a close relationship with France during his leadership, welcomed an initiative launched by German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President uh, Nicolas Sarkozy to move towards a fiscal union in 2012. The proposal, which would mean giving up sovereignty over budgetary policies with the aim to shore up the 17-nation currency union, 
has received a lukewarm response from other Eurozone countries. But this is all just step by step with a, an old script they probably pulled out, blew the dust off, because it's time you put it in, you see. And, um, and that's how the world is really run. It's not spur-of-the-moment decisions. It's got a definite goal, always had a definite goal, and it was admitted uh, eventually in the 90s when they took the secrecy off the uh, European amalgamation after they got all the countries into it. This said in their initial charter they'd have to lie to the public because they'd never go for losing their national sovereignty. So they lied from 1948 right up until the late 90s. And they're still lying today, of course. Germany and France have sent a long signal with the plan for a European economic government if it is meant seriously and receives suitable authorities, such as European finance minister Schroeder said. So they want a European finance minister. This is the correct way forward and the precondition for the correct funding, which are euro bonds, he said. Germany, which enjoys lower costs for issuing debt than its single currency partners, has led resistance to joint euro-dominated bonds. So it's all I do with cash too as these psychopaths march on in their big psychopathic club at the top, uh, knowing exactly where it's all going. And uh, you're not supposed to know. You're, you're supposed to think that it's, you know, pulling its straws as they go down and drown at the last minute. Well, we'll better amalgamate completely and give up all sovereignty. You have to go back and read the, the setup of the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements. All these, that's the banking group, this private banking group under the United Nations, which the, again, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, set up. And you'll find out this was planned a long time ago. Um, Maynard Keynes wrote about it, this true purpose of the, the, uh, these, these particular banks was to unite the globe eventually. And the International Monetary Fund was basically as big stick as well to keep all the countries in line. And eventually we come up to part two, the Bretton Woods part two agreement, where they created the new system for the whole planet. And IMF would do all the bookkeeping. There'd be no localized, in other words, national bookkeeping left. It'd be open for the IMF, who would do all your books. And it's pretty well there today. So we're going into this global system. Not a nice, pretty, uh, happy, multicultural utopia. It's nothing to do with it. Just the peasants of each country is just the same as the peasant of any other country in the eyes of the inbred top elite psychopaths that run it all. And you ever wondered what happens to, you know, the, the, the skeletal remains from cremation? Last week I talked about this liquid goo that you're going to pour you into. Uh, uh, there's been a few articles about it for crematoriums being done away with eventually. But they're still left with bits of skeleton and so on. And they actually put them in roadfill. They actually put that stuff in roadfill. I've been doing it for years. It reminds me of the fluoride, which was really the scrapings of the inner chimneys when they burnt off the different metals to make aluminum. And uh, some bright spark came up with the idea, rather than pay to have this poisonous stuff disposed of, let's make the, the, the people drink it in their, in their water and put it in their toothpaste and get them to buy it. And it worked awfully well. Well, what did they do with, with, with radiation? You know, when they have a radioactive leak somewhere, they grab all the topsoil, uh, which is radioactive, and take it all away, and that's the last you hear of it. And I know in Britain and some countries uh, during the Cold War, they used to fly a lot of nuclear material over populated areas. The U.S. tended to ban that and, and took it by transport, by road, in case there was accidents. As much, they'd keep it more local there. But Britain uh, has poo-pooed the whole idea that they did have accidents, which they did, 
and um, anyone got harmed. And documentaries came out a, a few years ago showing where houses had been built and the people are coming down with incredible cancers and they come in with radioactive monitors, radiation monitors, and then they find it screaming, that the soil is screaming. Well, that's where a lot of this stuff from these accidents happened to end up, was uh, the ground that these houses were built on. Still working well today. Now, in New York State, there's concerns over falls road fill radiation. This is how they've, they've titled it. And it says, uh, a state lawmaker is calling for investigation and one expert in radioactive waste management is expressing concern. The controversy involves radioactive road fill in Niagara Falls and there are still lots of questions. But they really skip round it. I'll read it through you, to you. But nobody asks where did it come from. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix and talking about what happens to radiation spills. What do they do with that stuff when they take the topsoil away? And, well, they, they, they put it back quietly. They sneak it in different little ways. It's going to save them cash, and it's out of sight, out of mind, basically, unless someone catches on. And this actually came into the newspaper through a tip uh, from, a, from a, I guess, a reader of the, the, the newspaper, and that's what looked into it. And it says... This is uh, David uh, Pfeiffer, who owns Mano Trees Contracting, dropped a bombshell on the reconstruction of Lewiston Road in Niagara Falls. The truth is there is a, the truth is there is a health hazard on that project. It's not being properly cleaned up. He said, "It tells News 4 that he's learned that radiation levels in some spots are 10 times higher than the normal background levels for that area." Pfeiffer told, "We're told not to chase the radiation, although it is on all of the people's lawns." There was that want to, to concentrate on that and, and go elsewhere, like in the lawns, backyards, and so on. But it's, it's on the folks' lawns as well. They're sitting on the stuff. That's where the stuff goes when there's been a bad spill. You build houses on it, you see, and you dump the rest in holes and potholes or actually make the road out of it, a mixture. So there you have dead people's bits, <laughs> plus from the, the skeletons from cremation, plus you have radiation as well. You know, all the junk they would say at the top. In good psychopaths. Pfeiffer said his workers have been told to stick to the road job which is behind schedule and over budget by millions of dollars already. Niagara Falls Mayor Paul Deister said the project is not a remedial project for removing radioactive materials uh, wherever they're found. It's a road construction project in which radioactive materials that are under the road are being removed and so there are limits to the bounds of the project. In other words, they can't very well lift up the houses, they're certainly going to pay for that and, and take away all the topsoil that was dumped there. Dr. Marvin Reznikov said, when you have levels that are 10 times greater or, or more, then yes, I'm very concerned about that aspect of it. Dr. Reznikov is an international consultant with Radioactive Waste Management Associates who is familiar with the Niagara Falls situation. In my opinion, that material should be taken out now. The material is going to stay radioactive essentially forever. Roads are going to come and go. You know, kicking, kicking the can down the road is not going to solve the problem, said Dr. Reznikov. Not unless the folk all die of cancer and don't know what's killing them. Uh, it says, now one state lawmaker says there should be an independent investigation. 
And Senator George uh, Maziarz said, someone is not telling the truth. Let's find out who it is. I don't want to see an unsafe condition, hazardous condition covered up. That's not in anyone's best interest. However, the government's response was to still a state health department spokesman tells News 4 that radiation monitoring methods used by the agency have not detected a health risk to workers. Oh, so it's okay. And that the radioactive slag in question is not in a form that can be breathed in or swallowed. It's just sitting there giving off radioactive waves for God knows how far. But that's your standard government. That's what the government thinks of you folks, you know, as they take your homes and through the banks and and all of their cons and tax you into the grave. Quite something else, isn't it? But that's quite standard. And youngsters now, too, another link I'm putting up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Youngsters are now coming down with strokes higher, one-third higher than ever before. The number of people aged 15 to 44 hospitalized for strokes jumps by more than a third between 1995 and 2008. Of course, it's no big mystery, according to them, because they're not looking into the causes, which means it's meant to happen, just like us all going sterile. Another article tonight I'll put up a link to is Ear Bashing, Feeling the Heat in a City That Forever Beeps. And it's about basically uh, the pollution you get, electro-pollution or electro-smog as it's called in America, because of all the microwave that's flying through the air all the time, through cordless phones and cell phones, wireless networks, and lots of low-level radio frequency radiation and what it does to people. Uh, But I'll put that link up too. Now, maybe a couple of years ago now, I read an article by some young, wealthy uh, person who was born with probably a gold spoon in her mouth, and she married another guy with a gold spoon in her mouth, and they made a a career of going across the world, um, looking at bugs and things, uh, probably for some big organization of the United Nations, big governmental funding, etc. And then she came up with an article about we should eat uh, insects, you see, to change our diet, eat insects. And I went through the article there. It'll be in the archive section of my site. But here's the latest one. It says, a scorpion in your soup. The, e- the European Union, again, this big Soviet uh, dictatorship of the EU, the EU spends £2.5 million encouraging people to eat insects. This is the latest. So they're, just, they're actually spending money. And to make you think this is wonderful stuff. Nutrition expert. What's a nutrition expert? Well, what, what is a nutrition expert? Eh? Have found a cheap way to help save the environment. Well, this is an environmentalist. Is that a nutrition expert? See, has all BS. Anyway, and solve the food shortage. What, short, what food shortage crisis? Eh, what? They put all the farms out of business. Uh, they have found an abundant supply of food rich in calcium and protein while low in fat. But the squeamish might not want to look away now because the food source is insects. It says the European Union thinks creepy crawlies should start appearing on menus after experts in Brussels. Oh, Brussels again, eh? The Brussels sprouts. Recommended that bugs could be a vital source of nutrition. The Sunday Times newspaper. I like to see them meeting the G20 and all these characters from the EU Parliament at these, you know, billion, well, one Point five billion dollar dues and bashes that they have, where millions go for their two or three day meals, uh, and the stuff that they eat, the incredible stuff. I like to see them eating insects. I like to see them eating insects. I'd give them stinging bees or wasps or something. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and talking about how you're going to eat insects shortly because uh, that's been ordered from the top down that you do so. And you will eventually because they've been saying for years at the top that uh, you're going to have a vegetarian diet at least, non-meat, put it that way, and uh, they say it must be so that way. And that's how it's going to be, whatever they want to get. You're living in a total socialist system where science runs on behalf of the masters at the top. Science runs your lives. And unfortunately, most folk will probably go for it. And, you know, that's just the way they are. And put lots of sauce in it. You won't think anything of it. Anyway, it says here uh, that um, the European Union thinks creepy crawlies should start appearing on menus after experts. Here's these experts again in Brussels. Recommend the bugs could be a source of nutrition. It says, so scorpion soup and cricket casserole. I know what part of the casserole I would use for there. Could soon be options as the European Commission has now offered £2.65 million into a project to promote eating insects. In other words, giving grants out for the, you know, the psychopaths who haven't quite made it yet. To, to grab and convince you to do so. They've also ordered the UK, they've ordered the UK Food Standards Agency to investigate and potentially look at ways to make entomophagy, the eating of insects, a more, more popular choice. One study found that grasshoppers offer uh, 20% protein with a tiny 6% fat, compared to lean uh, beef's 24% protein and 18% fat. So that's supposed to be the plug for it. The research institute that offers the best proposal for investigating insects as novel sources of proteins will be awarded the money by the commission. They'll have to research quality and safety, potential allergies, and what sort of proteins insects offer. Uh, Professor Marcel, you know, we would, we would have noses like anteaters, you understand, if we were meant to eat these things all the time. You understand that? But we don't, you see. Well, most of us. Professor Marcel Dick, uh, leading a team at uh, Wageningen University in Holland, is applying for the grant. He told the Sunday Times, by 2020, you will be buying insects in supermarkets. We've already seen the introduction of eggplant, sushi, things people never ate here. I think it will start with ground-up insects and sauces and burgers. Snacking on silkworm moth larvae or adding blitz bees to sauces could offer a much-needed solution to soaring costs of red meat. That's because they put so many of the farmers under, and you've got the five agri-food businesses that run everything else. But as I say, the politicians won't be eating insects, believe you me. And, uh, yeah, they've got the whole script, the whole, the whole future is planned out for you all. I hope you realize that as you entertain yourselves to death. Now, there's a caller on the line there who's been hanging on. And uh, I think it's uh, I think it's Mark from Texas. Are you there, Mark? Alan, I'm not sure if I want to say anything after that last comment. That's right. I know it's quite something, eh? Oh, Alan. Yeah. You know, you know how much money the federal government and the Canadian governments have spent to prop up the internet. I mean, there's no telling how many billions of dollars have been spent through public-private partnerships. Yep. How many months do you think it'll be before both countries come out and they they announce to their propagandas that we need a postmaster attorney general mm-hmm. for internet email? Actually, they have. They have. They've floated that idea. They haven't made it law, but they've been floating that idea 
of exactly that under a particular committee that they've mentioned. So you're, you're, you're right, they have been. <laughs> I haven't heard of that. I haven't heard, but I, I could see where they, that could also lend itself straight into digital currency. Yes. Yeah. Because then you, let's say, you know, because it's all for your benefit. You'd only pay two cents mm-hmm. to send a letter in the mail, don't you know? Oh, that's how, that's how they get people. Yeah, that's how they always get people. And then they do away with the other service eventually. Say, well, it's not enough people using it, so we can't go the old way. So you're stuck with this new way. Yeah. And then, then they jack up the price. <laughs> right. The, the new way, it, it's twofold. It's, it's, it's not just convenience. It's laziness plus it's currency-wise it's cheaper. So it's actually two ways they get you. Oh, yeah. And folk have no idea how it's even done to them, because most folk do float through life. They, they learn by osmosis, bits and bytes of info from a thousand sources hit them. They don't reason through any of them, but they're being programmed all the time. But, you know, even the fashion industry helped promote uh, cashless currency. Did you know that? The fashion industry. They, 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 were the, they were approached by the governments and the banks to find ways of encouraging, especially the young up-and-coming people that would be the first generation, to, to uh, how, how could you stop them from carrying cash? Well, they gave them these, these particular pants with the, the very flat pockets, etc. So they would bulge out uh, if you put anything big in them, and that doesn't go well with youngsters. So they, they gave them little, little flap pockets in the front there that just held the credit card. And they're paid millions for doing this, for designing these clothes and, and promoting it across to the youngsters through music, television, different different ways to get them to go cashless. The, the public have no idea of the millions of ways they're manipulated all the time. Well, you remember the easy pass. That's the big thing now. Mm-hmm. Even with uh, truckers uh, going into a bar, you have an easy pass. You just walk in and, and, and you come back out and it's billed to you in the mail. That's right. And sometimes it's extra on top because you pass out in the bar and they carry you. <laughs> but, but the problem is it won't be through the mail anymore. I know. It'll be through the Internet. Through the, Absolutely. They said years ago, and I even have the articles in my archive somewhere, that eventually government, all government agencies will talk directly to you. In fact, they're doing it in some areas, and people are signing up for them, where government departments will notify you of something that concerns you personally. You'll be doing your taxes on it. They'll be contacting you, and it'll be, li- it'll be interactive. So as you're putting figures up there, they'll be adjusting the figures for the ones you didn't put in. <laughs> but this, this is all this is all literally uh, in the works right now, and some people are actually using this kind of stuff. So you're right. And they knew they'd do this even before we were given the Internet. When you read the cryptic writings of people who helped plan the world system, they talked about this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's going to be interesting. Alan, thanks for taking the call, sir. And thanks for calling. Bye now. Bye. But yeah, it's, it's quite the system. Folk have no idea of the myriad of ways in which you're manipulated constantly, constantly. What to think, what to wear, how to look, and how to behave even, what's now politically correct, what's not, what's not politically correct, etc. They're conditioned all the time, and they're upgraded just like a computer system. Yeah. So... Another thing, too, I'm putting up tonight is to do with uh, the ICLEI. That's the, that's the Local Governments for Sustainability. I put a site tonight where you can actually find out if your local government or your state or your province in Canada or even your country uh, is in on it. And it'll tell you the different members and where they are and so on. 
that set up this part of Agenda 21. So many fronts. Remember the communists had front that, that oh, thousands of fronts in the U.S. alone. Even even had church groups involved that were conned into it, not knowing they were a front to push communism. Well, never. Why throw a good system away when it works? So. That's what they use, of course, for Agenda 21. And when so many people were talking out against Agenda 21 and it became known, they changed a lot of its wording. So you have sustainability. Anything with sustainability is part of Agenda 21. So this is the ICLEI one, the big one, the big ones. And they just get themselves appointed over your local councils, uh, state councils, provincial councils, and and just sit, sit there quite quietly from the general public, but make, they're making all the rules about you, can you sell your home? But what will the social impact and the environmental impact be if you sell your home? Who will buy it? Then they need to do another fee to get, for engineers to come out and see, oh, what will the environmental impact be if this person moves into that home? Money after money after money, and grabs and grabs and grabs by these psychopathic liars that smell the wind and get on to an awful good thing. So... I'll put this link up and you can look up your own country or area or town or whatever and it's quite an interesting one to to go through. And also tonight I'd like to mention to do with NAFTA and the the North American Free Trade Agreement. As I say, they're really busy all over Latin America bringing in new members, new members fairly on the quiet, a little bit sneak into the papers here and... Um, and even Harper, the Prime Minister of Canada, was criticised by his own his own party for going down there and keeping everything secret from his party. But it doesn't matter because, as quickly said, every member of the Council on Foreign Relations or the American or the Canadian branch changed its name about a year ago. Same thing, though. Um, they, they, they say that they always every Prime Minister and President you've had since the 1800s has been a member of this particular organisation under its various names. But this article here, it's a PDF, in fact, about how they announce themselves that comes from. We are a superior think tank who advise policymakers. You see, it's a, it's a private organization. A private organization set up in London when it started by international moneylenders, not just bankers, who, with the, the Rhodes Group, uh, the Cecil Rhodes Group, uh, carried on the same policies to take over all the world's resources and to amalgamate the world into one, first through regions and blocks, and then into one governmental system, with themselves in, on top advising all uh, the, the, the states, they call the different countries the states, advising them on different policies. In other words, being the top boss. But they're a private comp- group, a private organization. And you've got to go into the history of it, it's quite easy to find uh, but they, they make up the policies for NAFTA. They drafted up the, the NAFTA policies. This private group that you don't elect drafted up the NAFTA deal, the free trade agreement and the NAFTA agreement. They, they drafted it up for the, for the European amalgamation as well. And we don't elect them, this private group, you see. And they came on national television in Canada in, in uh, 2005 and admitted it. And under their own little banner for the first time, they came out and says, yeah, we drafted up for the, for the amalgamation of the Americas, basically. So here they're talking about Brazil in this particular PDF. And it's interesting that they say by the year 2016, Brazil, India, China, and Russia as up-and-coming countries. I don't know how China is an up-and-coming country. Uh, but anyway, except for the fact we're still financing them for hospitals and stuff and building schools for them. 
and give them lots of free trade deals, literally free. Um, they say that they'll overtake all of America and its outputs uh, in, by 2016 because we're funding them into existence, just as we're funding Brazil into existence. And it goes on about that. And it says, too, being the, the, main, um, the main think tank that, that advises the U.S. government, uh, they're advising the government in the U.S. and Canada to uh, not only accept Brazil and with all these full powers, including Security Council on the United Nations, that's another little feather in the cap for them, um, that gets them in, that um, we should treat them as absolute equals and maybe eventually we'll have to give up some of our, again, our own power, meaning authority or even sovereignty in the deal as well as time goes on. So you have to wade through with all the rubbish near the, they always give you dry stuff to put, most folk can't, you know, the people who, who can't think very long for, for a minute or so without something distracting them, they'll never get through the first little part of it. But you, you, you can just scroll down through it to get to the nitty gritty stuff and, and you, you stop congratulating all the writers and their past all that into the real stuff, the meat of it, and you'll find out that this is well on its way. And it's interesting too that the president of uh, Brazil, you go into, go into her history, and it's got the usual story of Daddy, Daddy being a, an ardent communist, but somehow he got in trouble and he had to rush out of Bulgaria. He ran off to Paris, I think, or France, and then he went to Portugal for a while. And wherever he went, he taught communism. Strange that that a Marxist communist that would have to escape the country would make a career teaching communism. And somehow he went to South America and he just made good. But he was teaching Marxist classes all along too. And he ends up uh, dying, leaving umpteen ranches behind him. They, they seem to acquire and accumulate an awful lot of wealth on the way, these Marxists, don't they? But it's, it's an interesting little story if you go into uh, who she is, is the daughter of uh, who her daddy was and all the rest of it. Awful interesting story. But they don't mention that in Council on Foreign Relations. But they do like the Marxist uh, system, as I say, to control the masses for those who acquire all the incredible wealth at the top. But I love those stories of guys running off and, and you know, rags to riches. They're awfully, awfully fond of them at the top there. So I'll put that one up tonight. Now, Glasgow in, in Scotland, the, the twin cities a long time ago, you see, to make us more, feel more international, uh, so that the peasant in Glasgow would feel awful like the peasant in China, I suppose, only he's paying a lot more money for everything that he has to consume or even feed himself. But it says Glasgow's twin city is selling living prisoners' organs to health tourists. It says hospitals in Glasgow's twin city in China sell organs. Take, by the way, you help fund them. The one they twin, they twin you with, you help fund them. So hospitals in Glasgow's twin city in China sell organs taken illegally from innocent people who were executed by the Chinese Communist Party, campaigners claimed last night. Ahead of an international conference today in Glasgow about organ harvesting. I hate that term, it's just like you're farming, isn't it? But we are farmed, as Fort said. A Nobel Peace Prize nominee said that legal practice is rife in Dalian, a city in northeast China in which Scotland's largest city has been twinned since 1987. Delegates attending the event hosted by Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting uh, will hear claims that the Chinese regime removes organs from prisoners who are still alive and that wealthy health tourists travel to China to buy kidneys and livers available on the black market. Well, there's nothing, it's nothing really new if you've been watching this stuff. It's been going on for a while. But you see, it's not for you or anybody else. No, they, but they'll kill you. They'll, do you understand we're, we're all DNA typed? Do you know that? Do you know what the Human Genome Project was about, apart from basic um, 
eugenics to find out, well, you know, we've looked at the parents and the grandparents and great-grandparents' health histories and IQs and so on, and we've got pretty predictable outcome for this person. Here's baby, here's they prick their, their heel and take their blood and have been doing for 30-odd years and lying to the public. And anyone who's gone for a blood test, they always send one sample off to the same darn thing. So they know who you are. They know what, what's, what DNA typing you are. You've got to get close DNA typing to get a good organ. You see, that'll last a few years, uh, and the closer the better. So in China, you just dial them up, basically, and they'll find somebody, a prisoner or whoever, or even someone who's not in prison, or so-and-so matches it. They just work in a restaurant, grab them uh, or convict them of something, pull them in, and wick out their organ. And, of course, you've got to get it out of a live donor. If it, they don't want them to die, uh, they've got to be brain activity still there, and you'll still be breathing, etc. Otherwise, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, if they put it down to the, I don't know, sell it on eBay or something. But the, the fresher it is, the better it is for them, and there's a lot more bucks in it as well. So the rich folk travel to China to buy kidneys and livers available on the black market. And the speakers include David uh, Matas, Canadian human rights lawyer who was nominated for the Nobel Prize last year for exposing China's illegal organ trade. The victims of China's organ business are said to be mainly people arrested for practicing Falun Gong, a spiritual movement banned by the CCP. Falun, the CCP claims Falun Gong is a dangerous cult and outlawed it for illegal activities in 1999. Kind of like what they're doing to the mayor and selling, trying to sell milk, you know, real milk to the people. And Mr. Matas is co-authored by, of, of Bloody Harvest, the killing of Falun Gong for their organs, for which he received his Nobel nomination last year. So anyway, it says between 2000 and 2005, there were 41,500 transplants carried out in China, whereby the only explanation for the sourcing was imprisoned Falun Gong practitioners. That's, see, they're not dumb, the communists. You know, how do you get rid of these pesky organizations and, and make a profit at the same time? Communism is awfully good at profiting. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and I'm also putting a link up to the latest United Nations soldiers raping uh, a, a Haitian uh, teenager, which is up uh, on YouTube. It's from the Guardian newspaper too, and other newspapers. But uh, they'll probably just say it's a sexual preference to gang rape somebody, and, and no doubt there'll be a group shortly saying, well, that's just what we prefer. Uh, so I'll put it up tonight, and there's a, another caller there is Tom from Wisconsin, if he's on the line. You there, Tom? Hello, Tom? Can you hear me, Alan? Yes, I can, yeah. Excellent. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple things tonight. I know we're short on time. Um, the, the Tea Party name that the Tea Partiers go by, they don't even understand. And you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, I heard and I saw in a presentation last night that it was a group of Masons that carried out the uh, Boston Tea Party event. And what had happened was they had lowered the, the parliament in, in, the, in, the, in Britain, lowered the actual taxes on tea, and since the Masons were smuggling in the tea because of the exorbitant tax rates, um, they were a little irritated with, with that event. And so they went and they canceled their meeting that night, the night of the Boston Tea Party, and dressed up as Indians and threw the tea overboard. 
And yeah. um, it's just incredible to me that I, I don't know how, how we should expect to actually beat this system at its own game when the very histories that we've been taught in school are so corrupted. It's, it's really Absolutely. incredible. Absolutely. That's, that's a very sentient point, and, and it's, it's vital to understand that you can't save a system that's been secretive from the beginning and uh, misleading from the beginning um, and hasn't had an agenda from the beginning. Remember, too, Franklin himself said that uh, he hoped this federation uh, of states would become a federation of world states uh, run by 12 wise men. That's in his own his own diaries. You can see that at the Franklin Institute, or you can buy a copy of his own letters and writings. So uh, they knew where they were going. But what's interesting, too, you're, you're quite right. He admits in that book there was nothing to do with the cost of tea or the stamp act. He says that started off this this war. He says we, we used that as an excuse. Because very, I mean, how much tea would you have to buy in a year to, to, to even notice the amount of tax that they put on it? So it wasn't that at all. And he also admitted that it was planned for years and years and years ahead, the revolution, with uh, smugglers coming into to islands and, and to the coast, bringing in powder, shot, all the, all the stuff you would need for a war, up to 20 years before it started. You know, And they also admitted they used the youth an awful lot, the energetic youth who would want to fight. They used them uh, to help kick it off. But what's interesting, too, I mean, dressing up as Indians and letting, letting them take the blame is, is maybe part of the technique they still use today. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then uh, I, I recently got a job at a, uh, a reasonably quality, as far as fast food goes, a place called Cops here in uh, uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin. Yeah. And it amazes me how popular Diet Coke is, credit card swipes are, and how absolutely absolutely ignorant the youth are. And they, they're just, they don't, they're dumb. They don't know anything. And then the, the, the managers, the older people who are uh, my age or younger, don't know anything either. Yeah. And I try and explain to them, like on the whole income tax issue, like there is no federal law. Mm-hmm. There's no federal law. So yeah. it's, it's optional. I don't have to pay this. But we don't have to accept that Matsu Tong said that power comes from the barrel of a gun and the big boys have them all. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. basically... So, so it's power of might, and you're quite right. So dumbed down population, and the mammals, if you don't warn the youngsters what to be wary of, they think it's all normal and they'll ask no questions. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. And remember, to help tonight and keep me going here, things are pretty bad. It's good night. I mean, your God, your God's go with you.